0: Welcome to From Skirts to Scrubs. I'm Charlotte. And I'm Alicia. And we are two medical students trying to figure out our place in medicine by looking to the past and to current events to try and understand the impact that they have on us as women in medicine and as women in general. Yes, and you can find
1: or follow us on social media. We have an Instagram and a Facebook. Those are both at From Skirts to Scrubs. We have a Twitter, which is at FSTS underscore podcast. And you can check out our website for more information on episodes, show notes, sources, and more. And that's from scripts which by the way, is new and improved. So you should go give it a little bit of extra love.
0: Yeah. You can also subscribe to us and leave us a rating and review on whatever place you want to. And Apple podcast is a great place for ratings and reviews.
1: Yes, it is. (laughs) Okay. We're back. Yeah.
0: We're back for season.
1: For I missed us too I yeah Mm -hmm. we're so excited to be back for another season we appreciate you sticking around with us during our break we took some time off to get some exams done and we're just you know chugging along in med school we're Mm -hmm. well into our third years which is exciting but also kind of scary yeah very yeah (laughs) Uh, We also rebranded. So like I said before, you should definitely go check out our new and improved website, as well as take a second to go look at our new logo. Yeah, I know. We wanted to give a huge shout out to our logo designer, Trisha Gupte, who specifically created the amazing drawing that is on our logo. So thank Mm -hmm. you, Trish. Yeah. And then, of course, Charlotte, who actually put our logo together. She is a
0: genius. Oh, thank you. We'll also give a shout out to Keith Malong, who, is, who did our photo shoot for our rebrand. Love you, Keith. Thank you, Keith. Yeah. Great.
1: So kind of looking ahead for this episode, I wanted to start out the season with a fun story that kind of has a lot of history and something that I actually didn't really know that much about. And I feel like a lot of what we talk about or what we've talked about on the podcast has been related to the womb or the mind or, you know, hysteria, mental health, that kind of stuff, stuff that is very relevant to women. Mm -hmm. But I think the last time that we talked about the breast was in season one when we looked at the history of mastectomies. And so Mm -hmm. I thought I'd bring back this topic. So today we're going to talk about breasts. Yeah. Yeah. So, what do you know? <laughs> what do you know about the history of breasts? Like any stories, any idea of like special meaning given to the breast?
0: What do you got? Um, I will say when Alicia picked this topic, she texted me and she said, "I think I'm gonna do breasts," and I was like, "What does that mean?" <laughs> she was like, "He's a little tidbit; he'll so find out." So I don't know what's going on, but. If any little stories I know, I would say if I tried to think of like history and breasts together, then images of like mother and child pop in my mm-hmm. head, like breastfeeding is like in a lot of imagery from history. So that and then recent history, like Victorian corsets, huge. If anyone's like a Bridgerton fan, like it's all over the show, Mm -hmm. like their breasts are always way larger than they need to be. And they look uncomfortable. So for history and breasts, like those two things, like which actually corsets are making a comeback today, which is like a fashion look for sure. Like if you're using it like an actual corset, then problematic or troublesome a little bit. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, those are interesting that you bring that up. I think we might end up talking about that a little (laughs) So yeah, those are the things that popped in my head,
1: I would say. Yes. I love all those things. And Mm -hmm. I think we can just dive into the history and see how much of that we we can cover. Yeah, let's get into it. All righty. So a lot of the history that I gathered is from this book, literally called A History of the Breast. (laughs)
0: Perfect. I know. It was like almost my only source. I'm also Um, reading a book for the next episode. So look at us diving into books. Anyway,
1: Marilyn Yalom had a lot to say. She had a lot to say about the breast, let me tell you. But she made this amazing, like, historical compilation of information about the breast. And I will say, like, this book does a great job of pulling together a lot of takes from Western civilization on the breast. But of course, like as so many of those sources that we look at, they're missing a lot of non-Western cultures and like their perspectives. So I wanted to say that. Yeah. I wish I could pull in more. I tried to pull in some, but it's, I, I just Simple. wasn't able to. But with that, I thought I'd start with a general theme. You'll notice, which is that in ancient times, the breast was considered sacred. So... Hmm. I started with one of my favorite civilizations, ancient Egypt. I was like, love talking about this, this time period, except for recently. This is an aside, but if you have not seen the live online creation of Tutankhamun, you need to look him up because he looks scary and it's crazy. So that's homework for later. But anyway, (laughs) ancient Egypt. The mother goddess, Isis, queen of Egypt, mother of Horus, the great pharaoh, was associated, her just whole being was associated with the milk-giving cow, the tree of life, and the throne of the pharaohs. Like, as in, she is literally the throne in which they, like, sit upon. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And so the idea was that, like, you go sit on her lap and you suckle from her breast and you get divine nourishment from her. Oh. Yes. So that was like a very common depiction of the breast was like through Isis. But there was also some kind of weirdo Egyptian depictions of breasts, like one god named Hopi, the god of the Nile, was this dude who had breasts on his torso. (laughs) I know, and they were a sign of fertility. So Mm. I guess it just wasn't that weird for dudes to have boobs on their abdomens. I don't know. That was a vibe, like a congenital issue, yeah, or you know, just fertility. Um, Egyptian women, just in ancient times, would stimulate milk letdown by warm quote warming the bones of x raw fish. Don't know how to pronounce that, X-R-A is raw fish oil. Hmm. So they would like take these bones from this fish and like heat it up in oil and then rub that. It was like a very odorous mixture all over their like their backs. Or they would sit cross-legged and eat fragrant bread of soured dura. And she would eat bread while rubbing her breasts with poppy plants. And this would help stimulate milk letdown. And that was something that they used to do in ancient Egypt. And I was like, this is so interesting. But I want, did it work? I I think it did work. Okay, (laughs) good for that. In ancient Egypt and even in Rome, there are breasts everywhere, like imagery of breasts and probably real Mm -hmm. breasts, to be honest, like everywhere. The most interesting tidbit that I found in Greek ancient greek history is that as the gods became like olympianized like quote-unquote olympianized the Mm. female goddesses became more like powerful deities so for example athena was this virgin goddess of war and wisdom but she was always depicted as covered in like heavy draperies and like armor and things like that Mm. so she was like depicted as very powerful They covered her not because they were like ashamed of her, ashamed of her body, but it was actually for protection because just like how men needed to cover up in battle, so did Athena. So it was like
0: actually pretty woke for ancient Greek times, I think. Gender equity. You need armor armor for running the battle. I'm not trying to die.
1: True. (laughs) Yeah. And the war goddess is not trying to die either. Exactly. I know. She's not stupid. She's also the goddess of wisdom. <laughs> yes, she is very wise. <laughs> but on the opposite side of that, there was Aphrodite, the goddess of love, who was literally just everywhere and like always half naked. Yep. Another story that I kind of liked was about Hera, the queen of the gods and Zeus's wife, as we know. And She had breast milk that, if suckled, would make the drinker immortal. And so Zeus, who, as we know, went off with, like, human women all the time, he, of course, went off with someone, had Hercules, and wanted Hercules to be immortal, too. So one night, while Hera was sleeping, he put Hercules to her breast. And the goes that he suckled so aggressively that she woke up and was furious because he wasn't her son. I would probably be furious too. But Hercules became immortal
0: anyway, so yeah.
1: But the next time you watch Disney's Hercules, just know that that's not the full story. Or at least not Disney's Hercules is
0: so different than the myth. Still a great (laughs) movie. So different than the myth. (laughs) From a medical perspective, the Greeks,
1: as we can likely gather, believed that women were inferior to men. And this came through even in the writings of Hippocrates, who, which we've talked about him yep. before, but he's this like really oldie doctor, Hippocratic Oath. We know Hippocrates. And <gasps> he said that women's bodies were spongy and porous in contrast to the muscular, more perfect male body. Ah, Yeah. And then another mm. thing... That I thought was interesting is that we know Hippocrates believed in the four humors, so like black bile, yellow bile, blood, and phlegm. Mm-hmm. But if oh, yes. a woman had breast cancer, they actually at the time would like know that she had breast cancer because her breast would bleed,
0: which is actually a real thing. That is a real thing. Inter- yeah. Intrapapillary something. Intraductal papilloma. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Bleeding breasts. So when the center of the Western world switched from Athens to Rome, Greek gods became more Roman. And an important story here is the birth of Rome through like Romulus and Remus. Do you know the mm-hmm. story of Romulus and Remus, Char?
0: Maybe. Kind of. Like they were both born, they're twins. They're raised by a wolf, like a she wolf. Um... So they, like suckled from the wolf is like a famous image of Romus, Romulus and Remus. They went and found Rome and then they had like a fight that if one hopped over the wall, then they would kill him one hopped over the wall. So they killed them, I think.
1: You know, I didn't even get that far. <laughs> 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 I have that Romulus and Remus are the twin sons of the mortal Rhea and the war god Mars, also known as Ares. Mm. And when they were born, they were thrown into the river Tiber. And a she-wolf rescued them and raised them, and she breastfed them, like you said, and this was thought to have made them more strong and wolf-like because of it. Yes. Yes. I don't know anything about a wall, but I believe it. (laughs) That might be wrong. That's just what I, that's what popped in my head. (laughs) That's okay. So then as we head into like biblical kind of, you know, Christy times, there are many, many references to the breast being fertile and nourishing, which like honestly makes so much sense, because if you think about it, babies would legit have nothing to eat at that time if they couldn't drink breast milk.
0: Like, what were they going to eat?
1: They were going to starve. They were going to die.
0: Yeah, I guess I don't know. Like yeah. cow's milk, like other forms of milk they use maybe, but I don't know do that when the breast milk's free. Yeah. Well, I guess cow's milk at the time, if you had a
1: cow, was also free. But I don't think babies can... What, did everyone have cows? Probably not. I don't know.
0: (laughs) A lot of cows for a village.
1: Yeah, I don't know. But we just have a lot of stuff that we can give babies now. And I'm like, that's good, because that would have been bad then. I don't know what they used to feed babies. I bet a lot of babies just died if a mom, like, couldn't breastfeed. Probably, Um, But... Any wet nurse at the time, so wet nurse is like, as we know, or maybe you don't know, but a wet nurse is essentially a person who was pregnant around the same time as like the mother of the baby. And because they like gave birth around the same time or whatever it is, like she has a supply of breast milk that she can then use to like feed this baby instead of the yeah. birth mother feeding the baby with their own breast milk. So mm-hmm. that's a wet it's nurse. It's like a rich
0: thing. Yeah.
1: Do. Well, like, so. Well kind of. It's interesting because I think it like kind of changes in time. So mm-hmm. we'll talk about it. Yeah. But basically like at the time in like biblical times, wet nurses were very much a thing. Like a lot of people like had them or just like people who are breastfeeding. Um were feeding their babies too. And it was interesting because they like had to eat really specific diets. And I don't oh. know. I don't know if you the have any healthy. idea. Yeah. Do you have any idea what, what they were eating? I would be, it's totally fine if you don't know. Cause this is like so random.
0: My only guess is like meat, like some type of meat. I don't know. I yeah. guess, you know, that's not that <laughs> far off. So they were told not
1: to eat any food that could make the milk bitter like leeks, okay. onion, garlic and radishes. And then no meat that was hard to digest. So like lamb and beef oh. were off the table. Um but I guess they could probably eat like chicken or something. And then all yeah. foods with a lot of seasoning were like a no-go. So what she Why? could eat was hard bread, the yellow of eggs, rains, partridges, pigeons, chickens, freshwater fish, and occasionally a suckling pig. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, very specific. Hard bread, not soft bread, hard bread. Hard bread and a little baby pig. Hmm. I know, sad. In the Hebrew Bible, women were valued as the vessels of creation. So again, fertility was this concept that was really important. Um, And in early Judaism and other religions like paganism, they were particularly important. At some point, the Bible does state that a biblical husband was allowed to take pleasure in his wife's breasts, which I found interesting. In Proverbs 5, 19 to 20, um, it says, rejoice with the wife of thy, though, let her breasts satisfy thee at all times. Which I was (laughs) like, I don't know what that means. But I don't think I want to know and that's okay. No. <laughs> I don't know about that one. <laughs> yeah. In the New Testament there are two major female figures. And I was like, Charlotte, do you want to do you want to tell us who they are? I don't know if you know. I had no idea cuz I don't know anything about the Bible. Um,
0: but maybe you know. Um like Jesus' mom, Mary. In yeah. In the New Testament. Okay. And Mary Magdalene. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> Okay, the Da, da Vinci Code is one of my favorite movies, and Mary Magdalene's <laughs> a huge character in that movie. Oh my god, that is so funny. If you hadn't said yeah. that, I would have been like, I didn't think you were that
1: religious, but okay. I'm not at all. <laughs> but the Da Vinci Codes, a wild movie. You guys gotta watch it. I love <laughs> that it. That is so funny. Okay, yes, yeah, so it was the two Marys, Mary Magdalene and the Virgin Mary, yeah. obviously. Well, I guess it's not that obvious. I thought it was really obvious that the Virgin Mary is like more popular than the other Mary. But maybe she's equally well known. And I just didn't know her.
0: I but, feel like the Virgin Mary would be more popular. Okay. Because Mary Magdalene is supposed to be like a prostitute, I think.
1: In oh, the Bible. Uh,
0: yeah, maybe yeah. not then. Okay, cool. But in the so, Da Vinci Code, she's Jesus' wife. So, Oh, fascinating. I don't know. Super fascinating. Anyway. But Not the topic today.
1: Well, what I find interesting is that though the New Testament doesn't itself speak ill of like flesh and like, you know, what people look like, early Christian mm-hmm. theology saw the body as the enemy that needed to be defeated. In particular, what? the female flesh was seen as a threat to spiritual perfection. Because... It took attention away from God and tempted people into fornication and adultery. Obviously.
0: That sounds familiar, not philosophy. Yeah,
1: that that feels right. Yeah. Um, yeah. so if there was ever a mention of women's breasts, it was actually mostly negative. And lust, one of the seven deadly sins, as we know, was attributed to women, especially her breasts and her like genitalia generally. Right. Yeah. Heading into the early years after Christ, we kind of head back to this version of the breast being fertile and nourishing. It's like, honestly, whiplash. I'm like, is she good? Is she bad? Like, I don't know. Um, The narrative kind of appeared that when a mother breastfeeds her baby, she's giving her whole like she's like giving all of her beliefs to this baby, too. And so that was like this huge motivation Mm. to breastfeed. Um and then in like 12th century France there were songs praising little breasts and women with smaller breasts. Um and the clothing of the time was also changing to match this.
0: Okay. So people
1: were wearing like more like less revealing clothes but also like doing it in a way that accentuated like having a flatter chest. In the hmm. late middle ages, women started lowering lowering their necklines. And molding their clothes to start accentuating their breasts. And lots of people actually saw this directly as misconduct. Because obviously a woman had to be subservient to her husband above all. And there was actually... Obviously. Obviously. (laughs) Um, And there was a quote even from that time that said, the good wife should bring to her husband the sweetness of the milk which signifies the sweetness that should be in true marriage. She's so sweet. She's so sweet. So so the wife
0: has to bring her breast
1: milk to her husband? I don't think that's the, like, literally what they're saying, but they're basically saying that, like, her body exists for his enjoyment.
0: Uh, That made me think of the, have you seen Friends? I don't remember. I've seen it, but I don't, like, I don't know if I watched the whole thing. Oh, there's like one episode where like everyone's drinking breast milk. Oh, ew. And it's so funny. And like, they're all just like, it just tastes like regular, like sweet milk or whatever. But it's just like a whole episode about how they don't want to try it. I don't know. And that's what that made me think of. Like if like bring your breast milk to your husband to try. I my God, this is sweet enough. You're fine. (laughs) That is so funny.
1: But yeah, also during the Middle Ages, this like big event happened that changed things slash made the breast kind of important you know what the event was that happened
0: an event about breasts
1: that kind of like was a big problem for the whole world the
0: black plague <laughs> yes <laughs> nice yes. i'm like nothing happened during the middle ages <laughs> literally the dark ages for a reason it's like what could to happen yes the black plague So
1: it was during the plague that above all else, like the breast was really this comforting and nurturing thing because they're like, everyone's dying. But look at this thing that can give life. That's so wonderful. Oh, interesting. I know. During the Renaissance, a notable split started to occur between the upper and lower classes. So this kind of gets into what you were talking about, Charlotte. So in the upper classes, Mm -hmm. lavish things like oval bathtubs and perfumes and like fancy stuff was coming into fashion and poor women started to get paid as wet nurses for rich women so if you whipped out your boob to feed your kid and you were rich you were criticized for subjecting your Mm. bosom to animal-like practices When you could just be using a wet nurse, like that's where that kind of came from. And it's interesting because obviously since infant mortality was so high at the time, just like generally wealthy women were expected to pop out like a ton of kids, but Mm -hmm. also they were expected not to feed any of them. And like have a bunch of wet nurses, but don't
0: care for them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And also during this time, there was a belief that husbands should refrain from having sex with their wives while they were nursing. So, like, more reason to not have them be nursing. Oh, yeah. There was like, why? They thought so. They said that it's because there was this idea that like agitation from sex could corrupt the milk supply curdle the milk and then maybe even kill the baby. So just like Get lots of baby. things that like lots of things that didn't make sense. Oh, no. Yeah. So that makes sense then with that context of like why that
0: men did. thought that. Yeah. It's all it's all adding up. It's it's all, it's all
1: making sense. It's all making sense. Yeah. There's a common denominator here. In the 1500s, during Queen Elizabeth, the first reign the body of weak and feeble women were, that's like it was thought to be that women were weak and feeble, and it was generally hidden under elaborate clothing, specifically clothing that crushed her chest and left her, left only her hands and face open to the world. Oh, and no. this is where they started to wear the stiff boned bodice which it was like Bridgerton energy. Yes. Yes. And actually the value of crushing the breasts was like, I feel like it was really popular in rich people. And that's like what we have kind of seen is like the tighter your corset, the tighter your bodice, like the better. Yeah. More suitable you are. I know. So since the late Renaissance, basically, the trend has been towards favoring larger breasts. And this is truly just because of male preference. The small breasts of the late middle ages had been replaced with larger ones. And generally, the erotization of women's breasts has been a result of the male gaze. When breasts became Mm -hmm. over eroticized, their sexual meaning began to shadow their maternal meaning. Mm -hmm. So we're heading into bad breast territory now.
0: Bad breasts, okay. Yes.
1: And along with that, we transition into a time in which the breast became political. So throughout the French Revolution, women started to breastfeed their own babies again, rather than having or working as wet nurses. And then there started to become a divide. Can you think of what that might have looked like, Char? Like a divide between the rich and the poor and kind of like how that relates to the revolution, the revolution.
0: Is it like the lower class women who were wet nurses, like didn't want to be wet nurses anymore, like for the upper class? So then the upper class were left like with no one to feed their babies. So then they had to resort to breastfeeding. Kind of. Yes.
1: But more so like, and that was a leading question. That was a read my mind question. But it's essentially like if you're poor and rich and then like one group is like wet nursing the other, like. 're starting to become this idea that if you nursed your baby from your own breast you loved your baby um whereas if you were a wet nurse you were like serving the bourgeoisie mm. and you were like serving the evil rich people because the whole thing of the French Re- Revolution was like down with the rich um so yeah it became this like e- it was like evil to be rich now and so as right. a result like even the clothes that, Women started to wear change. So they moved away, like poor women, like moved away from wearing corsets because it was also a sign of the rich and reverted mm-hmm. to like more flowy, loose dresses, kind of like dresses from ancient Greek or ancient Roman styles with like little trousers underneath to be more like egalitarian. Like they were all here for like equality, you know? Cute.
0: Sounds cute. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Yeah. So, all across the world, the good breast then was the nurturing breast. The bad breast was the one that did not feed a baby. It was adulterous. It was temptuous. It was a problem. Big problem. And that kind of happened like throughout, you know, the like 1700s, 1800s. And then even into the 1900s, the breast continued to be politicized. So during World War One, propaganda added new dimensions honestly to the political use of the breast lots of posters for servicemen to protect this nation's honor like that was their thing was like we need to protect the nation's honor we need to protect our women and these posters would have like bare-chested women on the covers and then of course like we know about the posters that they had um talking about like the dangers of women walking STIs and if you don't know about that you should check out our episode on STIs yes. the booby trap the ultimate yes. booby trap is very fun <laughs> um it's a good one but actually something i found kind of interesting was this argument that on the simplest level breasts were so fetishized in the war because they were a biological sign of a sexual difference between like men and women if you're looking at like yeah. a- biological difference and that was really highlighted in this historical time period because in this time the breast was a sign of love, intimacy and nurturance and those were all the things that men were fighting overseas for. They were mm. like values that they were fighting for. If I wanted hmm. to like be nice about it. In the later 1900s a lot changed with women and particularly like the breast and breastfeeding. I kind of didn't want to get into the whole breastfeeding thing because part of me wants to do a whole episode just on breastfeeding itself. Yeah. I think that's really like interesting. And there's a lot of history just in that because there's a lot of different like things that cultures do related to breastfeeding and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I will say that breast politics was a huge part of governmental, economic, religious and healthcare sources. All of these things are like traditionally male-dominated institutions, and they're not known for putting women's interests first, but like the breast was like a part of all of them. Like they really cared about like what women were doing with their breasts. Mm -hmm. And that was like throughout the 1900s. And then as we transition into like the 1900s, like late 1900s, 2000s, we shift from a political breast to a more commercialized one. And women became both buyers and sellers in the breast market. So as buyers, we were buying clothes and other items that made our boobs look bigger or look better. Like the wonder bra was like something that I kept seeing Hmm. and I like didn't know what the wonder bra was. And basically it's like a really, it's like a bra from the nineties that like made your boobs really pop. And there was like a lot of commercialization of Hmm. this bra. I've never heard of it, but that's what they talked about. Um, and then Charlotte, can you think of a trend that has come up that is a breast enhancer these days? Corsets. Corsets. Which is fascinating because, like we kind of already talked about, the corset was invented to mold the female form, cover it up, squeeze it, pat it, shape it, and like honestly train it mm-hmm. into this hourglass shape. Like that's what it was created for. Mm-hmm. And it's back. And to be honest, I love a corset top. Like, I think they're really cute. But I could not do. Exactly. Like, Like, it's
0: not waist training. If you're
1: really wearing a corset top that's a real corset, that is, like, not the way. Mm -hmm. But the ones now are just, like, more like tops with, like, a little bit of. But even, like, back in time in, like, the 1800s when corsets were in full swing, even doctors then were like, yo, this is not the way. Like these two doctors, Dr. Mary Safford Blake and Dr. Caroline Hastings out of Boston, were saying that corsets were like immovable bondage. And they even blamed the corset for the deterioration of thoracic muscles. A girl of 16 or 18 who's been wearing this is wearing an instrument of torture. It's like, dang. Okay. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, not wrong. And they continued to be like all the rage for a long time until the bra or like brazier kind of came onto the scene in the 1900s um and the book that i was reading that i got all of this information from said that it was like like the introduction of bras was like prisoners new newly released from jail
0: <laughs> oh no
1: and then the best thing ever was invented in the 1970s the sports bra which at the time was called the jog bra, which I thought was not as fun. I was like, what if you don't run? (laughs) Um, I mean, the sports But yeah, it was to help. If you don't do sports. True, true, (laughs) true. We should just call sports bras bras and those other things should be called underwire torture devices. Torture devices. Just kidding. (laughs) It's fine. You can wear an underwire bra. It's not a big deal. I just don't like them. Yeah. But anyway. It was to help women in motion and like control where everything was going. And it makes a lot of sense why like came up in the 1970s because like exercise culture became this like huge thing.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, 1970s and 80s. Um, And then Victoria's Secret kind of came out and about in the 80s and 90s. And they even said a quote. It said, the waif look is out. Cleavage is in. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know what a waif is, a waif is from like the Middle Ages. And it's this like sickly little looking girl. So they're saying the waif look is out, like being really thin and sickly and like skinny is out and cleavage is in. Mm. Yeah. So generally the vibe of breasts, just like as it was and as it is now, is still really in the realm of this male gaze. But and so when you're commercializing something, you'll sell for whatever you will make money, like whatever will make the most money. Mm -hmm. And in the last 30 years, it's still been the male gaze because sex sells. So nowadays we've entered like what this author was kind of calling the era of breast liberation. So in the nineties, we started getting into like burning bras and like fighting for women's reproductive rights, et cetera. And like all this kind of went together with like freeing the breast Mm -hmm. and breast cancer awareness really increased. Mammograms have improved. They started incorporating mammogram screening into the, you know, women's health and stuff. So just Mm -hmm. like a lot of like changes in the breast world and it's to like maintain breast health and like, you know free the nipple because yeah I didn't know much about it like actually what it was I just heard the phrase like free the nipple and so it started in 2014 when an American filmmaker named Lena Esco released a film called free the nipple and it was about a group of women who launched a revolution to try to make it socially acceptable for women to go topless like men do but like whenever they want I know. So the idea was that women and men both have nipples. So why can't women have their nipples out? But men can. And I was like, that's really valid. And the concept of the liberated breast is different, you know, for everyone. Mm -hmm. So for some people, it looks like being able to walk down the street without a bra or like wearing a revealing dress and not getting heckled. Mm -hmm. For other people, it looks like breastfeeding out in public without any shame or without, like, any laws that will curtail you. Because there are some states, like, in 2014, Mm -hmm. I don't remember what it is now, but, like, at that time that Free the Nipple started, 37 states had laws against, like, breastfeeding in public. Wow.
0: That's a lot of states. Um,
1: It is a lot of states. And it's interesting. So, you know, some people want breast liberation to look like being able to breastfeed whenever. And Mm -hmm. then for other people, it just looks like, you know, having a bra that's comfortable, that fits, that like makes them feel good, that Mm -hmm. makes them able to move around in the world. And I really like the way that Marilyn Yalom, who is the author of this very helpful book, Mm -hmm. um, I like the way she ended her book. So I thought I'd end this episode that way too. She says, for better or for worse, bigger or smaller in sickness and in health, breasts are wedded to our bodies and, in the best of circumstances, can offer us both pleasure and power. Yeah. So I was like, nice, Marilyn. <laughs> give me some pleasure and power. <laughs> <laughs> Snaps for Marilyn. But yeah, that's my, like, whirlwind of a history. It's, wow. There's also bit... I took two pages of notes. I will have you know. <laughs> but no. I thought we could talk about it.
0: Yeah, let's do it.
1: HR. so what are you
0: thinking what are your thoughts 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 so many so many things to think about in this i would say I have two major thoughts one is like just the very obvious shift of like viewing the breasts as like this maternal kind of like a maternal view of it versus a sexual view and like why that switch at such a particular time you know, like how, how it went from so heavily maternal to like so heavily sexual, and how kind of in the process of that, like there's so much imagery from throughout history of the breast being maternal. Like you talked about all these different cultures that have like fertility as a part of breast, men having breasts. Like it wasn't, it didn't come off as a sexual thing. It might have been sexual at the time, but like the predominating idea was like fertility and life and, you know being maternal and now it's so sexual and now like images of like like you said like images of breastfeeding and maternity and breasts is like so frowned upon because breasts are viewed so sexually now that like people have a hard time like viewing it as maternal you know and i even see like a lot of tiktoks of like oh I don't want to have babies because then, like, then I have to breastfeed, and then my husband's like not gonna like my breasts anymore. Like, guys don't like like women's breastfeeding because like it obscures their like sexual view of the breast. And I don't know why they're like two separate things, separate, you know? Yeah, and like why one all of a sudden overshadows the other? Unsure. It's just like interesting. Of like, why did that shift happen? Like, where did it happen? Why are people like so uncomfortable by the like maternal side of breasts now? So, just that's interesting for sure. And then the other thing that I thought of was in like 12th century France, like small breasts were cool, you know, and then big, mm-hmm. big breasts became cool. And then, like you mentioned, the the wonder bra advertisement that was like, or the corsets or whatever advertisement that like small, being small is mm-hmm. out and being like having cleavage is in. It's just like pitting women's bodies against each other. Yeah. It's kind of how I saw it. That like, you know, like your body shape can change, your breast size can change based on like what you eat and if you work out and like this and that, but like ultimately you can't really change those things unless you get plastic surgery. Um, So yeah. those ideas are just kind of like pitting women against each other in a way that they can't do anything about it, which is super unfair and very like patriarchal in that way. Yeah, no,
1: and that's really that's like an interesting thought. The that's interesting, and then like your first thought too. I I think like what you were saying about you know men saying that they don't find women's breasts, or women saying that like they're worried that their partner won't find their breast like attractive or see it in a sexual way after they've Mm -hmm. breastfed. And what I find really interesting that I didn't really talk about as much in the episode is that there is like discussion that even to some people like breastfeeding is a sexual act like they turn this like maternal act into something sexual which is like also interesting and like why can't it be both but also like do you really want your breastfeeding your baby to be a sexual act like no you don't so I don't know yeah and then kind of you know thinking about all of the points in time that we talked about were there any depictions of the breast that you resonated with that you kind of like liked or parts that you didn't really resonate with or you're like this is really far off.
0: I think I resonated most with the French Revolution part specifically because it was, mm. it just seemed like a time where women like were really actively making their own choices about their breasts, like they were deciding to breastfeed or not and that was like a personal decision that like meant a lot to them and was political but like also um it was I don't know, it seemed like a time in society where it was okay for women you know okay but it was more common for women to make that decision about themselves and you know times of unrest times of war times of whatever are like when so many things change in society so it's kind of cool to see that this specifically like such a womanhood thing changed during like the french revolution of all things i think french Revolution. Yeah. i think of like les miserables not yeah, no women, you know i know um yeah. so I, I don't know I, th- I thought that was cool and i kind of think it weirdly ties into the idea of like free the nip and like people choosing like what bras are most comfortable for themselves and like how they feel most comfortable like in their breasts and I don't know they tie together and I thought that was kind of interesting and I was like I feel this vibe I connected with the vibe <laughs> this is resonating <laughs> this is resonating with me and then what doesn't resonate with me is just the It makes sense, but it doesn't resonate with me, the breastfeeding part, just because I'm not a mom. Like, I don't really understand or like have a connection to that as of now. Ask me well off in the future and we'll come come back to that. We'll circle back. We'll circle back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No,
1: that's that makes a lot of sense. And I like also enjoyed the French Revolution part. I think one part that like surprisingly, you know, settled with me was the plague.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love (laughs) the Black Plague. Let me tell you. It has changed so much in history. It's so interesting. It really has. But well, what I found, I
1: what I liked kind of was that like in this really dark time, the breast more than ever like became this source of like nurturance and like mm-hmm. love. And I thought that was kind of cool, but something that like didn't really similar vibes but didn't resonate as much was like in world war one when men were like we need to defend the honor of like this nurturing loving thing like all of our values Mm. like it was similar but it just didn't hit the same for me but something that came up a lot this episode was the divide between the good breast and the bad breast Mm -hmm. so i'm wondering like in your clinical experience or just like in your life if you have any examples of times in which like the breast or, you know, like, yeah, people like had thoughts about the breast being good or bad or both or whatever it looked like.
0: Um, I would say I have two experiences. One is like a learning experience. So a couple of weeks ago, we had like ultrasound training to learn how to do echo cardiograms, which is like basically looking at picture like ways to look at your heart. And I remember the instructor like specifically was like, we're gonna do this on male because they didn't want to have to worry about the breasts. But in reality, it's harder to get an echo on a woman because her breast is in the way. So I just thought it was interesting that they wouldn't even want to try to have like an instructor who was a woman like offer to sit there in a sports bra or something and have the echo be done around their breast. Like it was just. Interesting to me that we were going to default to the male, and I'm sitting there like, How will I ever learn to do an echo on a female who has breasts? Then, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be learning on someone who is ill, and like, I don't want to get it wrong, you know, something like that. So, I just thought that was interesting, and it's not that big of a deal, but at the same time, it is because like women deserve Mm -hmm. to have their imaging done correctly, too. And if like the first time you're learning how to do it, like there's people in that room who are going to be emergency medicine doctors and cardiologists who. Going to have to read echoes and do echoes and things like that. They should know how to like do it on a woman with breasts. So, yeah, that to me is like the bad view of the breasts of like, oh, we don't want to even have to like deal with the it being a sexual thing to be around a breast. So, we're just not even going to worry about it, which kind of just like discounts women. So, that's one thing. And then the other one is just my actual clinical experience with women has been pretty good when it comes to breasts. Like, breasts have never really come up as like an issue or something like that and then within like rotations where you deal with women's health and do breast exams and this and that I find that a lot of providers have been like very respectful to women like you know while doing breast exams and um, all the patients always seemed very comfortable or never were like outwardly uncomfortable because I felt like all the doctors I worked with were very good in making patients feel comfortable when situations had to do with their breasts so I thought that was a good thing yeah. yeah oh, good.
1: yeah, yeah. no, that's interesting. I think, like, in my clinical experience, like you're right, the breast doesn't come up like as as much as I thought it would if I'm not on a rotation that isn't like primary care focused. But yeah. something that I do think about a lot is that in those fields that aren't primary care focused, like a lot of people are really uncomfortable doing the breast exam. Mm. um. And I get it in like a lot of ways it doesn't come up. But like if a patient asked and I couldn't do that kind of exam, I mean, like that would be just like a problem on my learning. Like that would mean that yeah. I didn't learn what I was supposed to learn. It'd be like if I didn't know how to do a neuro exam or like a a knee exam, like it's not even those things are like exam. a little more niche. Yeah, it's not. Like, and it's it doesn't not need sexual, to be, but it's... People just like defer to mammogram instead of, you yeah. know, doing the like breast exam. So mm-hmm. And I get it. Like a lot of times it's like, okay, if you don't do them very often, then you might not even feel anything. So in reality, like you're going to send them for mammogram anyway, but well, I like have had patients ask and like had doctors say like, oh, I'll just send you for mammogram. And I'm like, oh, oh interesting. Okay. That is interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause breast yeah. I are mean, dif- difficult. it is difficult to feel yeah. masses, cysts, things like that. Like I remember the first time I practiced like on a dummy breast, basically. And you had to like identify like each thing and it was hard to identify. And then a couple of times in clinic, like a woman would come in with some type of mass or cyst and the doctor would be like, Oh, can you feel it? And I'd be like, kind of, like it's just like one of those practice makes perfect physical exam maneuvers. And if you don't practice and you will literally never be able to like do a good one, you can't just like pop it out and be like, yeah, I know how to do this. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But, um,
1: I think the history of the breast is long and complicated, but really interesting and like has a lot of cultural tie-ins and Mm -hmm. I'm interested in seeing kind of where it'll go and where, what'll come next. But for now, I will wear my sports bra and be comfortable (laughs) and be happy. (laughs) Yeah. So if you want to be comfortable and happy, you should keep listening to our podcast. And you can do that by subscribing on any of the podcasting apps that you listen on. And you can also leave us a rating and review. It would be so, so helpful if you could do this. Apple Podcasts is a great place. It's really easy. It's so
0: quick. um, And we'd really appreciate it. Yeah, you can also follow us on social media. We have an Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all those things. You can also check out our new and improved website with all of our show notes, sources, merch, which is from skirtsofscrubs.com. And lastly, here's to the women who fought for us to be where we are today. And may we do the same for those who come after us. Thank you guys for listening to season four. See you next time.